Hi, Jen. Welcome to Drinking with Jen. If it's your first time and if you're coming back, welcome back. I am Ginny Prem, your host. I'm a speaker and author and a master certified professional life coach. And I am really excited about our guest today. Um, her name is Dr. Elizabeth Scott. And she's an author, a workshop leader, an educator, an award-winning blogger on stress management, positive psychology, relationships, and emotional well-being. She's an author, a personal coach, a speaker. She has over two decades of experience educating and working with others on issues related to stress, emotional well-being, health, relationships, and overall life satisfaction. She's also a fellow author. Have to love that. Um, her book is called Eight Keys to Stress Management. I will put a link to it directly in the show notes so that you can grab your copy if stress management is something that you have been uh, looking to improve in that area. Her book will be a great resource. Uh, she's got a PhD in psychology and MS in counseling, uh, focused around marriage and family therapy, and also a BA in psychology from San Diego State University. She's also a fellow coach. So she is a PCC certified coach. Again, um, the author, I found her on a website called Very Well Mind. She has been a big contributor to them. She's got a ton of articles there, which I'm going to link one of her articles that I discovered her by. Um, the American Institute of Stress, Business Insider, CNN, Glamour, the list goes on and on. What I'm saying is she is well-credentialed. She is lovely. You are going to love this conversation. I'm going to link all of her stuff in the show notes, her website, uh, her social media handles, and all that good stuff, her book, like I mentioned. So if you have ever been told oh my gosh, stop being too sensitive, or you're just being too sensitive, or maybe you've thought someone else is just being too sensitive and you didn't really know how to handle it. This conversation is for you, or maybe for a friend that you want to share it with. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a five-star review for Drinking With Gin on your favorite platform. Reviews and shares are always appreciated. That's what helps continue to help Drinking With Gin grow. So, Without further ado, I'm going to let you enjoy this delightful conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Scott. What a treat to have Dr. Elizabeth Scott here with us today on Drinking with Gin. Welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we start every episode of Drinking with Gin with what are you drinking? So what are you drinking today? I'm drinking Perrier out of my um, positivity cup. So, um, yeah, I like to stay hydrated. And when I drink Perrier, I feel like I'm drinking something that's, you know, uh, sort of a treat, but it's also just water. So it's we call it. Um, so I have two bonus kids for people that don't know my story. Um, and we call it spicy water. So <laughs> that's kind of like a fun thing that they nicknamed it years ago when um, they came into my life. I was telling you beforehand, I have not had a drink with alcohol for a long time on the podcast, and I did pour myself a glass of red wine today because uh, I've got a little bit of a stressful situation going on at home and because I just knew that I have a feeling that today's 
topic is going to really hit home for me. I know there's going to be some light bulb moments for me and Jem, I'm sure that there will be for you too. Um, and whatever you're drinking and sipping along as you listen today with our expert, as you know, I love to bring on experts to talk about important topics. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it and enjoy the conversation. So a couple of months ago, I went to maybe a few months ago now, I think it was in September sometime this fall, I went to a concert. And the next day, I started doing research for the podcast. And I came across a topic that was brand new to me, had never heard of it before. And I went down a rabbit hole. Like I love research. I love science. I love doing, you know, homework and learning and growing. And this topic really piqued my interest. And so it's called being a highly sensitive person and going down this rabbit hole. Then I discovered some different quizzes. And of course, I wanted to take the quizzes because so many things were resonating with me. And, and we can dive into some of the details in a little bit, especially some of the things that really resonated with me. People that know me know I don't love crowds. Um, I'm very sensitive to sound. So I self-diagnosed myself probably 10 years ago with misophonia. And so if you don't know what misophonia is, it is the severe, like once you hear a repetitive sound, it's almost like you can't hear anything else. And it's not just disliking the sound of someone eating a banana, okay? It is like an intense inability to get it to to be able to stop hearing it and it can sometimes like enrage you so people that chew with their mouth open repeatedly or like smack their gum or popcorn or tap 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 like re those repetitive things and almost can like enrage you and people might be like oh you're just being sensitive you, you can't help it. Let me tell you, like, I wish more than anything that I did not have this misophonia. Um, so that was like a big indicator for me. So anyway, I went down this rabbit hole, started taking all these quizzes. And I was like, I need to find an expert to come talk about this. And I found you, you wrote an amazing article that I came across on very well mind, which I will link in the show notes so people can go read the whole thing. But first of all, from an expert's opinion, is is highly being a highly sensitive person sort of a new-ish topic in the world of psychology? You know, it's interesting. It really started being talked about in the 90s, like the mid-90s, with researcher Elaine Aaron. She really spearheaded this idea. She wrote um <clears throat> a really uh popular at the time, and it's really gained traction over the years, but called the highly sensitive person. And she wrote another one, I believe, about um, raising highly sensitive people, but she really spearheaded a lot of research and made it something that people are more aware of. Um, people have always been sensitive. There have been, you know, uh, people who have experienced people saying, oh, don't be so sensitive or, you know, you got to toughen up or grow a thick skin. You know, um, people have always a certain amount of people. It's a continuum. So some people are less sensitive. Some people are more but she's the one who in the 90s really started that. So that feels like a while ago, but it's actually relatively recent. Nobody was talking about this before. And it's really gained traction in recent years with social media and with people, you know, being able to so easily access information on it. 
And um, the more people talk about it, the more people who are highly sensitive realize, oh, that, that really describes me. And it's nice to have a name for it. And these are my people, you know, so. Yeah, sometimes I forget that 1990 was almost 25 years ago, because I keep on thinking it was like 10 years ago. Uh, that perspective, <laughs> right? But that is a relatively new concept, right? To be something so new in the realm of society and, and psychology. And it is really nice for people to have access to information and go, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense and kind of give them that validation and maybe start connecting with other people that have similar experiences that might be able to understand. Um, and so we'll get into all of that. But can you so let's go back and talk a little bit more about what is, and I know there's a lot of different, you know, moving components and parts and uh, requirements, you know, kind of like you said, it's like a scale, almost like a moving scale, what a highly sensitive person is. Hey, you know, that's a great question because it does involve a lot of components and it can show up differently for different people, but basically they have a stronger response to environmental stimuli than the average person. So, you know, again, you can be very highly sensitive or slightly highly sensitive, or, you know, then on the other end of the continuum, there are people who, you know, there's a loud noise and they barely hear it. But for the people who are highly sensitive, it's emotional stimuli as well as physical and sensory. So if you find that you startle easily, for example, you know, sometimes there are jump scares in movies and some people are just like, oh, yeah. But highly sensitive people will be like, yeah, you know, um, and it just, it kind of affects you more. Um, also being, not necessarily imagining things are there, but being more able to sense them. So highly sensitive people are more aware of changes in people, in other people's moods, shifts in the environment. They're also more sensitive to things like itchy clothing. Um, so, you know, it's really just your sensory responses are heightened. Um, and and it's not necessarily a bad thing. There are good and bad things. Um, you know, going back to the example of people saying, oh, don't be so sensitive. You know, some people find it irritating to deal with somebody who reacts more strongly to things. But at the same time, those are the people that can alert you when something's wrong um, more quickly. So that, that's another topic. But but yeah, those are the basics of being a highly sensitive person. Okay, if you are relating to pretty much everything that Dr. Scott just said, I'm with you. Uh, can't wear wool. Cannot wear like it cannot even have like 3% wool, or I am like going crazy. And part mm -hmm. of what you know, I told you it was this concert. So I'm very sensitive to crowds, I get really overwhelmed. So like, I don't know if you ever heard of the Minnesota State Fair, the great get together. It's like one of the biggest state fairs in the country. It's like my worst nightmare, <laughs> like yeah. just being around that many people and like the crowd. And at this concert, the bass was so loud, it felt painful to me. Yeah. And that was kind of, I was like, there's got to be something to this. Like, why am I so sensitive to this? Like, you know, noises. Um, I'm also very, is being like, I know you said it's like your physical and your emotional senses, like even fragrance. Like I, if I walk into a perfume area of a department store, immediate headache, immediate. Yeah. Wow. 
that's that's very very hsp um highly sensitive person a lot of people experience that and then to people who don't it's like what's wrong it smells nice to me you know yeah yeah oh my gosh okay so and then also the um like you were saying you may be more in tune like you might scare more easily like can't i don't like scary movies because i i feel it right like i feel it so strongly almost like i'm there or I don't know, is having vivid dreams another thing too? Yes, actually, I was going to uh, bring that up. People who are highly sensitive tend to not be able to watch things before they go to bed, especially without it invading their dreams. So I know one highly sensitive person who she just can't watch the news at night and she couldn't watch anything too upsetting because all of her dreams would be about that and she'd wake up exhausted. Um, and that's very common with highly sensitive people oh my gosh okay <laughs> this is fascinating or even like the like um people certain voices it mm. almost like it will it like hits you in the chest yeah yeah it's like grating on your ears right yes it's it's weird because it's like it's not just the sound but then it's the actual um you know, like a physical feel in your body from it too. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you were talking about, and I don't know if you want to go down this path a little bit more, but it sounded to me like you were saying that highly, you didn't use this word exactly, I don't think, but that highly sensitive people tend to be intuitive. Would you yeah. use that word? I would, absolutely. Um, because they, they're more aware of stimuli. So they take in information that a lot of people might miss. Um, and it's, it's interesting. That's one of the, you know, some people who are less sensitive find it challenging to deal with highly sensitive people because they might be fine at the loud concert and the highly sensitive person might be like, okay, can we leave early or something like that? But there are also real benefits because uh, highly sensitive people tend to tune into others more. They tend to understand more. They have deeper empathy a lot of the time. And, um, and it's it's like they can't help but notice these subtle things in people's demeanor. They make connections to things that they see. So it can be a real asset. And actually, um, one of the things researchers believe about highly sensitive people, the more they study them, is it's an evolutionary adaptation where we needed people in our society who have this highly sen high sensitivity to alert the others when there's danger because the highly sensitive people cue right into it. And just like we need people who are fearless and who are just going to go out and like attack and battle and not be afraid, we need people who are going to be tuned in to say like, oh, hey, there's danger ahead. So yeah, that intuitiveness is, it can be a real asset. That's really cool. And what about the, you mentioned empathy, right? And I think I, I want to just sit with that for a moment, because I think a lot of times what people believe empathy to be is feeling sorry for somebody, but that's not really what empathy is at all. Empathy is being able to understand where the other person is coming from, to try to put yourself in their shoes, um, to be sympathetic but not feel sorry for them right um and it's not that can be exhausting yes that is one of the challenges for highly sensitive people because um they tend to take on other people's moods like 
it, it's not just you're aware of other people's moods, but you feel it. And so they can be there for other people, but then it's sort of exhausting and draining for them because they care. And, um, and it's not even just an awareness, it's a feeling just like you were talking about. I love the way you were putting it, where you feel it in your chest with somebody's, you know, grating voice, they feel it in their body, what other people are feeling. So it can be a wonderful gift, but there's, that's why it's so wonderful that we have awareness raised because people who are highly sensitive need to have an extra layer of protection for themselves that if they realize they need it and they know how to provide it for themselves, that can be a game changer. Um, but if, you know, if you just try to go through life as though you're not as sensitive, you can find yourself being exhausted and knocked over by other, by other people's moods and just sort of swept around in a storm. That's so interesting because I think one of the things that I tend to do when I'm feeling highly sensitive and overstimulated is I shut down. And so mm -hmm. I just, I get quiet and people perceive that as me being cold or whatnot, but it's like a self-preservation kind of tactic. Yeah. What's the correlation or is there any correlation between being a highly sensitive person and being an introvert? You know, that is a great question because the two are linked and they're they're not the same thing. Um, like uh, researchers, especially Dr. Aaron, um, notes that they can be confused for each other. They're two distinct things, but there is a correlation because introverts experience that same thing of they like people. And, and there is some confusion with introversion and extroversion. A lot of people think introverts are shy or they just don't like people. And it's really more of a... Um, physiological thing. Extroverts get their energy from being around people and introverts find their energy drained by being around people. So it's a similar mechanism with highly sensitive people and, and more common for highly sensitive people to be introverts and introverts to be highly sensitive. Although it's not, you know, uh, the Venn diagram is not like a complete circle. Um, there's just overlap. That's so I love that. I like how you explain it. It's almost I think how I like to explain introvert versus extrovert, because again, very misunderstood, right? People are because I'm a hardcore introvert. So mm -hmm. this is how I like to explain it. Extroverts go to the party to get energy. Introverts leave the party to get energy. And that's how you need that downtime away from people like by yourself in order to recharge. And so a lot of times people are like, well, Ginny, you're a speaker. Like you get up on stages in front of hundreds of people and you, and you speak and it's like, yeah. And it's, I love it. And it's so invigorating in that moment. And then, you know what I go do the rest of the day? I go die. I go stare <laughs> at a wall. <laughs> like, it's literally all I can do, but it's, it, and I am outgoing, right? I do. I, I enjoy people. I love people. Um, but in order for me to feel my best and to recharge and to be able to engage and have great dialogue and conversation, I have to have that time by myself to re-energize. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that example too. Um, and I, I think I, I love that you bring up introversion and highly sensitive um, people because it's kind of similar. If you imagine an introvert raised in a family of extroverts where they're all like, you know, running, running, running. And if the introvert says like, Hey, I'm feeling drained. They're like, I know what to do. Let's get you to a party. You know, um, <clears throat> it's well, well-intentioned, but 
having that understanding of how things are different can be really game changing. And similarly, highly sensitive people, maybe if they're raised in a family with less sensitive people, you know, the sensitive, the, the less sensitive parents might be like, you need to grow a thicker skin and think that that'll help. And what the highly sensitive person hears is you're not okay the way you are. And, you know, you may as well grow an extra set of wings or, you know, turn your eyes a different color because it's a physiological thing that they can't really change. You can build structures to make it easier, but it's not something that's broken in somebody. It can be a real asset too. It's just something to be aware of and work with, you know? Um, that was beautifully put. Um, I think, you know, you've, you've said the thing a, a couple of times, don't be so sensitive. And I was playing around in my head, like, what am I going to call this episode? And I was thinking about either saying something like that, like, oh, don't be so sensitive, or are you just being sensitive? And mm -hmm. I love how you said you like to tell someone it would be like telling like never has a woman calmed down when she's been told to calm down. Right. It's like telling a highly sensitive person to be less sensitive is like telling them to change the color of their eyes. Mm -hmm. That was incredible. Thank you. Like I have goosebumps. That was so well put. And I, I really hope that gives people an understanding, like, especially for me with my misophonia, I make fun of it all the time as much as I can, but people know that like, if, if like my close community, if I'm on the phone with them and they're multitasking, like doing the dishes, they go on mute. Like they will put it on mute and and it's just like we have an understanding and it's, you know, I can say it in a way of like, oh my gosh, Holmes, you're killing me. And they're like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. I'm going to go on mute. You keep talking. Right. And then we just like manage. But if you don't have an understanding of it, and that's where really why I wanted to have you on here and provide your expertise to give a better understanding for people that might be a highly sensitive person and also for people that aren't so that they can have a better understanding of, oh gosh, that's what it's like for this person that is highly sensitive. And here's some ways that we might be able to better manage our communication, our relationship, what that looks like, maybe have a little more empathy. And one of the things that you said is, you know, when I brought up introversion is you said sometimes being a highly sensitive person and an introvert can get confused with one another. Is there anything else that a highly sensitive person might be misdiagnosed as or can get confused with other types of situations or diagnoses, really? Yeah, there are a few uh, different ones. Um one uh, introversion, obviously, um, sensory processing disorder is another one that um, often people kind of confuse. And um, th there can be some overlap, but it's people with sensory processing disorder tend to have a harder time processing sensory input. Um, that's not the same as being highly sensitive, although there can be overlap, um, but it's more they get, you know, very bothered by um by just physical stimuli. So it takes them longer to process. It could be auditory processing or other things like that. Um, autism is another one where there are, there's uh, people who are on this, the autism spectrum can be hypersensitive to certain things where um, they get very bothered by, you know, seams in their socks or things that are physically uncomfortable. So there are overlaps of symptoms, but they are distinct um, situations. Being highly sensitive is, you're highly sensitive to a lot of different things. And people on the spectrum, this isn't the only um, difference, but people on the autism spectrum can be 
highly sensitive to some things and not others, some stimuli and, and, and not others. So um, that's a bit of a distinction. And um, ADHD, which is on the autism spectrum, um, can be another thing that is confused with it. And then people who have faced trauma can develop some, especially narcissistic trauma, like being raised by narcissists, you can develop this high sensitivity to keep yourself safe as a child. Because if you can zoom in on the parent's triggers, you can keep yourself safer from them getting upset. So it's almost like a training ground to be highly sensitive. Um, and some people with a predisposition for being highly sensitive are more amenable to developing that really well. Um, and children in an environment like that who don't have as much of a capacity for the sensitivity tend to not navigate it as well. So it can be an adaptive mechanism and it can also be a response. You know, it, it can be an adaptive mechanism for trauma as well as a response to trauma. Okay, so that is going to be probably a pretty big um, aha moment for a lot of our gems here. Uh, we talk a lot about narcissism, narcissist abuse um, here on Drinking With Jen, and that isn't even something that I like pre-told you. Uh, as someone that uh, grew up with a narcissistic mother, I broke up with her two years ago. I always say it was my hardest breakup. Uh, it was the it was my last and final time. I had gone years with no contact, but after my dad passed away, I felt really bad for her because she's alone. None of her children speak to her, and she doesn't have anybody. And so I I entertained a relationship with her for almost a year, and it just got really bad really fast. The emotional and verbal abuse was just terrible. Um, and so uh, the, it was the day after Christmas two years ago. I made I did my final breakup and it was really really freeing and so I I didn't tell you in advance that I wanted to chat about that but I was thinking just today as we were getting ready to record about that I was like man is there a correlation and I asked you that right beforehand and you were like yes and I was like oh my gosh okay we need to talk about that because especially if you know as people are interested in that topic I think you know, if they're here uh, at Drinking with Jen, they probably are. And if you were raised by a narcissistic parent, you might be, again, the bells might be going off, ding, 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 ding. Like this makes a lot of sense. And you also had said, you know, before we started recording, when you condition yourself to walk on eggshells all of the time, that does create this heightened sense of awareness to your surroundings. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's something that you were raised with, it's hard to retrain your nervous system to say like, okay, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, you know, especially because if only one time out of five, it pays off, that's still reinforcement to your body and your, you know, subconscious mind that, okay, we need to be hypervigilant, you know? So yeah, that's a real, I think that's such an important topic. I'm so glad that you brought it up. Um, and I'm so happy that there's more awareness around narcissism and narcissistic abuse these days because in in past decades, people were kind of blamed for their own healthy responses to an unhealthy dynamic, um, you know, their own self-protective responses. So yeah, so if if you're a gem listening to this and it resonates, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking about this. 
I am too. And I love, and this is a big part of the reason why I bring on therapists. I call myself an accidental experiential expert on narcissism, just, you know, because of my own story and what I've, you know, been through my entire life. But I like to bring on experts because these things are thrown around flippantly. I mean, look, I've done a ton of research. I, in college, I did study psychology. Um, some, it's not what I majored in, but I, was I missed one credit to to minor in it at least. But so I've always had an interest in it, which is really fascinating. But I like to bring on experts because this is what you do. This is what you live and breathe. And narcissism also is thrown around really flippantly. And that's why I'm so passionate about having these conversations to provide real information that is credible and reliable that people know is not just, you know, a random TikToker, you know, talking about it. So this is really, really important dialogue. So thank you for sharing that. If someone's listening and they're like, hey, this is a lot of this is resonating with me. How do I like, what is the first step in going down the path of going, okay, am I a highly sensitive person? How do I, how do I figure this out? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So there is a test that Dr. Aaron, the, the main researcher on this has put together and it's linked in my article that's linked in your um, materials. And it's just a 27 question quiz that has been um, taken again and again by people. And a lot of research is sort of based on, you know, this is not a complete diagnosis, like, you know, you're talking to a therapist, but being a highly sensitive person is not actually a diagnosis. It's not in the diagnostic statistic manual. So it's not, you know, like narcissism is a diagnosis that people can have, but a lot of what people experience with narcissism, it's a continuum. So you can experience narcissistic abuse by somebody who has not been diagnosed as a narcissist, but they have a lot of the traits. And so with, um, I, I'm bringing this up to say, you know, just like borderline personality or other diagnoses, this isn't a mental health disorder. This is more of a personality trait, like introversion versus extroversion. You're not going to be diagnosed as an introvert, but, um, there is a test and it's 27 questions and it just asks you things like, are you easily overwhelmed by strong sensory input? Are you deeply moved by music or art? Like I am somebody who gets goosebumps by certain songs, you know, and as a child, some songs would actually bring tears to my eyes. Not everybody experiences that. I thought that that was common. And, um, you know, some people experience it and some people don't. Um, being sensitive to, to pain, having a startle response that's easily triggered, having other people's moods affect you, you know, some people can be aware that other people have moods, some people completely not, you know, they'll just be like, snap out of it. But if you're a highly sensitive person, you feel it deeply, um, <clears throat> you know, in your body, um, being annoyed by trying to do too many things at once. A lot of these are common things, but highly sensitive people experience most or all of these. So going and taking that test is a great way to start. Um, they're... <clears throat> Excuse me, I need to have some more of my uh, feel-good water. Yes. And while you're doing that, I think that is so helpful. So that's what I did. I went on, I went on and I found Dr. Aaron's um, highly sensitive personality test. And I also, I love how you explain, I appreciate how you explain that it's not in the DSM as a diagnosable 
mental health disorder. And so I think that for people might help remove any, you know, stigma or, you know, shame around it. It's more of a personality trait, um, which I think is interesting. And on the music front, so I actually think my dad had this as well. And so I don't know if there's any you know, hereditary type of thing or, but like my dad definitely had misophonia. Um, we never had friends over, uh, for dinner because they would 99.9% of the time get yelled at for their eating habits. Um, or if they chewed gum, it was like, do you want to wear that gum on your forehead? Uh, like very much had misophonia. Mm-hmm. And also like very like loved music. And I'm very much that like nature, love nature, see the beauty in it. Um, music is a huge, huge thing for me. I know like when I would come home from school, I played the piano growing up and it was always a key indicator what kind of mood I was in or what kind of day I had based on the music I would play. If I played light airy music, I probably had like a pretty good day, dark, heavy music. Maybe don't talk to Ginny for a little bit because it sounds like she maybe didn't have the best day. And just Mm -hmm. because you really, you really feel the music in, in your body, um, which I think is really interesting. Okay. So on that point, you brought up a couple things I'd like to speak to really quickly. Um, Highly sensitive people are also really moved by nature. And that's something that if you're a highly sensitive person, you can do to kind of de-stress, decompress and build resilience. Um, They've done studies on um, some people call it forest bathing, but being in natural spaces, whether it's the forest or a lake or the beach or whatever you have, even just going on walks around your neighborhood, if a lot of people have trees and nice, you know, front yards can be really restorative. They found that with the general population, um, it can build resilience, not only emotional resilience, but physical health resilience. People get sick less often. So that's something that if being in nature resonates strongly with you, that might be an indicator that you're highly sensitive as well as a tool you can use. Um, and with the heritability thing, when you talked about your dad, um, it's uh, it's estimated that it's 45% heritable, meaning you have a 45% chance of um, getting it passed down. So, oh, wow. yeah. So, oh, thank goodness I didn't have any kids. I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and about 15 to 20% of the population is highly sensitive. Okay. So... That's good to know. 15, you said 15 to 20? Mm-hmm. 15 yeah. to 20% approximately. Okay. Yeah. With sensory processing, processing disorders, it's closer to 20, 30%, but okay. with highly sensitive people, considered about 20%. So what was the forest, the name of the forest thing that you said? Forest bathing. Forest um, bathing. Yeah. Okay. Don't you just love that term? I do. I, yeah. I, I, I heard you say forest, but I missed the bathing. And so I really wanted to make sure that I knew what that was. So now that's going to give me a whole new thing to research. I love this. Um, the nature the walks, I actually just posted a reel on my Instagram this morning about like three things that I do if I'm feeling stuck or uninspired. And one of them is just go for like a 10 minute walk outside. And I have a hard rule. So I, if, again, if you're new here, um, my daughter that I do have is Francine and she is a 12 pound perfect Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. And so we'll go for walks. And my hard rule when I go for walks is I do not bring my phone. 
-hmm. I leave technology at home to just be in that moment in nature, outside, breathing the air, seeing the sights, and just kind of taking it all in, connecting with her and connecting with myself. That's a really important thing that I do. And I'm glad to know, like from an expert, that that's something that is good for highly sensitive people. So yeah, that's fantastic. I actually have the same habit. I do it in the morning because it's it's also good to get morning sun in your eyes for mm -hmm. your melatonin and all that, as you I'm sure know. Um, but I love that we both have that same habit. It's it's such a game changer for me. Yeah, and it it makes such a it's such a small thing. It seems like it, but it makes such a difference. You just feel reinvigorated and refreshed. Um, I love it. I love that that does that for you too. You also have some other really great recommendations, um, which really align with some of the stuff that I recommend, um, which I love when therapists recommend the same things that I do um, for people. Uh, like in my newest book, I'm My Favorite, which is a guided journal. One of the things that worked for me is meditation. That was a game changer for me in my life. It has helped make me more calm. Um, less reactive. I would say it's brought a lot of peace into my life. And so can you talk to us about that meditation, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, how can that help highly sensitive people? It can be so helpful because being a highly sensitive person, there's it, I like to think of it as adding a layer of buffer, you know, between you and the stimuli, because the stimuli affect, you know, highly sensitive people more strongly. So meditation allows people like everybody, it allows everybody a way to create a little space between themselves and the environment, you know, between stimulus and response. So it gives you a chance to kind of take a breath before reacting to things so that you can respond more mindfully rather than just react in whatever way hits you. Uh, to me, I like looking at it as instead of being like a pinball and a pinball machine, just being thrown around by everything around you, you learn to just sort of like be still. And um, studies, again, I love that there's so much research on this uh, because it used to just be an experiential thing. People would say like, oh yeah, meditation feels good. But they have so much research now that it creates more gray matter in your brain. It creates more emotional resilience. Um, it helps you be less reactive to the stressors in your environment. So being a highly sensitive person, if your reactions are more and more intense, anything you can do to sort of de-intensify those reactions can be helpful. And meditation and mindfulness are fantastic ways for that. So it's not even just, it's sort of a two-step benefit where in the moment when you're meditating, you're creating space between all the things around you and yourself, you know, all the emotions you're feeling and you know, your core self, but then the fact that you're restructuring your brain in a way that as you go throughout your day, your mind will keep doing that same thing, um, kind of in the background for you is, you know, such a game changer for highly sensitive people and non highly sensitive people alike, but absolutely for highly sensitive people, that's a key piece that, you know, that, that helps keep the gifts of being highly sensitive without as many of the challenges. Um, and one thing that people might find when I first started meditating, I found certain types of meditation were a lot easier than others. Being highly sensitive, I have uh, another um, factor in being, being highly sensitive is you have a deep inner 
life. Your, you know, your mind goes deep. You think deeply about things. You think of all the angles of things and your inner life is really rich. So um, this is something I experienced, but a lot of highly sensitive people experience this is your brain doesn't want to shut off if you're doing quiet meditation. And then you have this inner dialogue of, okay, good. I'm quiet now. Oh, wait, no, that was a thought. Oh, okay. 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 I think I'm doing it well. Wait, no, darn it. I'm thinking again, you know? And so sometimes different types of meditation where you focus on a sound or you focus on one of my favorites is chocolate meditation, where you take like a Hershey's kiss or a little piece of chocolate and just let it melt in your mouth. And you just focus on the different flavors and sensations <clears throat> until it's gone. And that gives you, you know, a specific amount of time for it to last. And who doesn't want chocolate? Well, some people don't want chocolate, but not me. <laughs> um, th I, that is a new type of meditation I've never heard of. Trying it immediately. I love that. <laughs> and I think too that like what you just spoke about is sheds a little bit of light on misunderstanding of what meditation is. Meditation doesn't mean that you have to completely shut your brain off. It's just being present. It's being present and allowing the thoughts to come in and allowing them to go out. But I think overthinking is that will resonate with a lot of people too. And giving people like, there's no hard rule on meditation. I, for me, what I found was guided meditations. And you also brought up breath work and breath work is so powerful, whether you're a highly sensitive person or not, if you're overwhelmed or you're in traffic and you're stressed, I recommend, and I'm my favorite also box breathing mm -hmm. and that, so like how you talked about meditation can really help in the moment, but also over time as a long-term benefit, breath work can really help you in the moment when you are in a stressful situation, you're highly stimulated, you're overwhelmed really can help ground you, recenter you. And not only that, it can help reduce your blood pressure, your heart rate, and reduce cortisol levels, which is our stress hormone. So, so many immediate benefits and breath work is a type of meditation. Um, and so those are, those are great tips. What other tips, what other things can highly sensitive people do? Like you said, be in nature, meditate, mindfulness, um, therapy. Therapy can be fantastic. Um, and it's wonderful to find uh, coping strategies that can work and to figure out your triggers. And a good therapist can help with that and, you know, dealing with uh, other areas that being highly sensitive might be causing challenges, you know, recognizing it, coming up with solutions, and just feeling that validation and support um, can be fantastic. Even working with a coach and figuring out ways to kind of change your environment to be supportive of not being overstimulating, you know, um, things like, you know, going back to meditation a little bit. And I'm really glad that you made that distinction because part of my issues with meditation in the beginning was a misunderstanding of meditation of like, oh, I'm doing it wrong if I have thoughts. And it's the recognizing and releasing of thoughts, you know, that's the real value of meditation. Um, but along the lines of meditation, setting up your environment to having a, you know, a meditation nook uh, can really draw you in to practice if you're somebody that likes to sit in meditation. And again, I think those mindful practices that you talked about, um, and there are, you know, several others where you can go throughout your life and, you know, like go about your business, but be mindful in it is a form of meditation, which is great. Um, but having sort of a quiet space a uh, you know relaxing zone where you don't have a lot of clutter, you don't have a lot of noise, 
where you can kind of just retreat and recharge can be really helpful as well. Um, other things, you know, self-care, highly sensitive people, again, if you're reactive to physical and environmental stimuli, we underestimate um, just in general, the importance of getting enough sleep, um, getting a healthy enough diet, and just having downtime. And for highly sensitive people, having downtime is really important. People who are overly scheduled sometimes might find themselves staying up too late so that they can have a downtime. You know, it's it's distinct from sleep. So if you can create buffers in your schedule so that you have that, but also making sure that your sleep is really guarded and protected. Um, and, you know, healthy diets, those are important things just to, to physically take care of your body. Um, How helpful and- is, uh, so I love that. I call self-care and because I, so I, in I My Favorite, my guided journal, there's three main components. So there's G, I, and N. So mm-hmm. I, I like to keep things easy so I can remember them. Okay, drinking with gin, gin, the gin path is what I call my coaching model. So G is for gathering, like that's gathering the information. That's what the podcast does and reading and it helps people get information and understanding to better understand their situation or circumstances. And then I is intentions, being intentional about what you participate in, what you don't, kind of that positive self-talk, which you and I may need to have a whole nother conversation about positive and negative self-talk. I'm very, very passionate about that and how that manifests for us. And then the N is for nurture. And so it's about self-care, but it's about so much more than that. It's about really nurturing yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And so I kind of put meditation actually in that category Um, it might be for some people, it might be a massage and I don't know if highly sensitive people may love massage or they may hate it, right. Depending on how that physical touches for them. Um, what about exercise? And I know we talked about like just getting out and walking. I mean, that's a form of exercise, but how important is that for people that are, that might be highly sensitive? Yeah, exercise is huge. And, you know, thank you for bringing that. By the way, I have to say, I absolutely love your acronyms. I love your, you know, um, your listeners are your gems. I just love all those things that you come up with. Um, I am actually going to get your book like right after this. Um, It just sounds like exactly what I'd love to experience. Well, Um, and it's so pretty here. I'll show you this. This is the cover. This is my second book. So um, this is the cover and it's all very, um, you're going to, maybe think this is interesting, but it's all very nature oriented. So yeah, it's, it's very, um, some, uh, and actually a a male, um, customer, he ordered it and he texted me immediately when he got it. He's like, Jenny, when I opened it, I felt as though I was standing in the middle of a Glen. And I was like, what a beautiful description. That was, it was like, can you just like pop that review real quick on Amazon? Thanks. Uh, (laughs) That's fantastic. Wow. But thank you for that. I I really appreciate it. And I think, I mean, like I said, so much of, I always feel like my guests that come on are every, nothing happens by chance, right? Like the, our passion for these topics is, you know, very aligned. So I appreciate that. That's terrific. Okay. Yeah. So with the exercise, um, there are different ways. Uh, exercise is really important. And even just getting 10 minutes of movement, it doesn't have to be on the treadmill or lifting weights, but just some t- sort of movement can reset how, I mean, this, this works for everybody, but highly sensitive people in particular, because it's sort of a way to reset your physiology and your frame of mind, 
Um, it gives you a burst of the positive hormones and a release of tension in your body. And, you know, you can do the unconventional exercises, you know, neighborhood walks are fantastic. You can put on three songs and dance around, um, or just, you know, a, a few yoga moves. Um, if anybody's familiar with sun salutations as a series of yoga moves, um, do one or two of those and it can be great. Longer exercise is obviously fantastic, but taking 10 minutes in your day as like an exercise reset can be a great tool for um, highly sensitive people as well. Okay, this uh, two things. This is so funny. The other day, I just talked about this on my social media because the other day I was meeting a friend for happy hour. I already had my workout gear on and I got busy with some other stuff. And I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, I don't have time. I wanted to do a 30 minute workout. And I was like, I don't have time to work out now. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the clock again. And I was like, ooh, I could do a 10 minute workout. And so I went downstairs and I did a 10 minute advanced leg and glute workout that kicked my ass, quite frankly. And so and it was interesting because I had the conversation at happy hour with my friend. I was like, you know, a lot of times you get in this mindset of like, oh, well, it's only 10 minutes. It's that's not going to be good enough. But what mm -hmm. I and because she was like, good for you. She's like, if I had 10 minutes, I wouldn't do it. Like, I just I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, oh, I only 10 minutes. I, I would do nothing instead. But it really did help with my like my mindset. I was I was probably in a better mood going to happy hour with my friends. Like it just made such a difference. And I also love the idea of um, I talk a lot about being intentional then about the exercise that you're doing. Right. So you brought up yoga. If you choose to do yoga, think about why you're doing the yoga. There's so many different types. Right. Do you want to go do a hot yoga because you just really need to sweat it out? Or do you need a good stretch for your body? Or do you just need that, you know, clarity of sitting in the four corners of your mat for however long? And, you know, thinking about what that type of exercise or movement is going to do for your overall well-being. And you might not know in the moment, but try different things because you just don't know what you might really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great point. And I love that. I mean, that's going to stay. And I hope it stays with a lot of the gems too. the idea of if you feel like you don't have time to work out 10 minutes can really make a difference. You know, if you use that 10 minutes, right. Um, and that made me think what you just said about intentionality with your workout, I think is so important. And it made me think of a study that I don't remember exactly how many weeks this was, but they did a study with hotel maids and <clears throat> you know, they're, they're all doing the same physical labor work. But half of them, they told them about the health benefits of exercise and how, you know, they're getting a lot of exercise by doing it and had them kind of think about like the health effects of their jobs. And the other half, they didn't talk to about this and they just went about their work. And the half that was thinking about the health effects of the exercise that they were getting on the job actually lost weight and the other half didn't. Um, and I believe it was the intentionality of the movement. They were thinking of it as you know, movement and exercise, but it was the mindset, which I thought was so interesting. That really is. Um, I think that's fascinating. I've seen some studies that they have shown improvement in um, muscle strength just by thinking about moving that muscle. I mean, like our minds and our bodies are so connected. And yeah, what a 
fascinating, you know, study that you brought up. That's not, again, now you gave me more things to go research. I'm going to be busy tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be busy awesome. on my computer. Um, okay. I want to bring up another hot, hot topic because this is something that you have in your article boundaries, boundary setting, and yeah. how valuable that is just in life for general, you know, in general for life for people, but especially for highly sensitive people. Can you just shed a little light on that for us? Absolutely. And this is such an important thing for highly sensitive people, partially because those who are sensitive are more in tune to other people's emotions and they feel them and setting boundaries feels like you're building a fortress around yourself. You're separating yourself from others. I mean, it can, I'm, I'm not saying everybody sees boundaries this way, but a lot of people, when they, they think about boundaries, they think of separation and not connecting with people. And it's really more, you can get closer to people if you have boundaries in place. It's actually a tool to allow yourself because you know, for highly sensitive people in particular, but for everybody, if you let people get too close to you and they take too much of, you know, your, your resources and they put you in places where you're uncomfortable, it's almost like you have to keep more distance. But if you just say, you know, this is what I can do, this is what I won't do, then you can get closer to them without knowing or without feeling like they're going to overwhelm you. And the feeling of being overwhelmed by others is something that highly sensitive people always need to guard against. So knowing exactly how much time you want to spend when you're out with crowds can really help because then you won't avoid going to the public places. You'll just know, okay, I'll spend an hour here and then I'll go home and you can get the benefits of things. And, you know, so boundary setting can involve things like that, knowing your limits and giving yourself a little bit of a buffer. So if you know that you're going to be exhausted after an hour, stay for 45 minutes. Don't push right up until your limit because, you know, things can always happen. But, you know, communicating with others because people might not always know what will be draining, you know, for highly sensitive people and communicating just like with everything else, you know, hey, I have a gluten allergy. Okay, we won't eat gluten. Hey, you know, I I need things to, to be not so loud, not so noisy or not so, you know, I can give this much, but then I have to say goodbye. Um, thinking of boundaries in all sorts of, you know, all, all sorts of different ways to set boundaries can be really important. And if you have it in your head, what your boundary is, then you can be a lot more comfortable communicating that to others. And most of the time people want to respect your boundaries. They just have to know what they are. So. Well, so I, yes, and. <laughs> mm. um, a lot of people, especially if you grew up with a narcissistic parents or with narcissist abuse, they don't respect boundaries. And that can be even more difficult than for a highly sensitive person, if that is your journey, right? Like, let's say, I mean, we'll just, you know, um, hypothetical situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you grow up with a narcissistic mom who doesn't respect boundaries it becomes harder for you to create boundaries because they're never respected. Then you become a highly sensitive person and now you have a hard time creating boundaries. So it can, it's really something that takes practice. And like you said, boundaries aren't about controlling anyone else's behavior. It's simply, and I think that's a big mis, like a very big misperception out there, a misconception. You are simply saying, 
what you are willing to participate in and what you're not mm-hmm. and communicating that and people that are close to you, like, I'll tell you, um, since I've been on this healing journey from narcissist abuse over the past, I guess, five years or so now, it mm-hmm. has really, um, you know, I've taken a lot of trash out because, you know, your eyes get open to it. I loved um, Taylor Swift recently said the trash usually takes itself out. Um, I say, you know, with narcissist abuse, particularly the trash takes itself out by gray rocking by the gray rock method. Um, so that's something I have a whole episode on that in season one. But mm. if you have a hard time setting boundaries, it takes practice. And the people that are meant for you, those relationships, especially when you take the trash out, you create so much more room and space for meaningful valuable connection in your life and the relationships and the people I have in my life now have never been stronger it's never been better never more connected never more intentional and meaningful relationships and a lot of that is and if you have that those types of people where they are meaningful relationships that are healthy boundaries will be respected and so then once you start the practice then it becomes easier and then eventually your, you know, your community of people, you, you have to set less and less boundaries. It, it's a, it's a beautiful kind of process. It's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, but it's a, it's a little bit of a fine art and dance, but you can get there. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important point that you just brought up too, because in narcissistic families with that dynamic, you're punished for creating boundaries or for even trying. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of they're not respected anyway, and you're actually punished for doing it. So it can feel painful to try to create boundaries if you come from that. And yeah, I and I agree, it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. And it's a training yourself to trust that if people get upset by you trying to set boundaries, you want to lose those people. You know, when, when you were a child, your life depended on getting along with these people and making them love and accept you. But as you're an adult and you can take care of yourself, you do not need people who are going to respect your boundaries. So it's almost a good test to have. And it can be, honestly, it can be really scary and challenging. Like I've done some things recently that I was kind of embarrassed about, but it's because of my highly sensitive person self-diagnosis that I did it. And so like, I'll give you an example I was going out with a friend and we were going to be riding in the car together and she wears perfume and mm-hmm. I had, a, I get migraines. I uh, haven't had one for a couple of months. Yay. But I tend to get them. And sometimes a trigger is fragrance. And I was kind of teetering, bordering on a migraine. And I, I was embarrassed that I did this. I actually felt bad. I was like, Oh, is she going to think I'm just a total idiot? But I texted her and I was like, Hey, I'm so excited to see you. If you haven't put on perfume already, would you mind not wearing any tonight? And she was like, oh my gosh, no problem. Like, this is a dear, dear friend of mine who I love and adore. And I felt really bad asking, but it really could have prevented me from having a migraine or making it worse. And she understood that. Um, And, you know... I don't know that I would do that with everybody, um, but that's a simple thing. Like as you're creating your 
things that you know, your limitations. I liked that you used that earlier, kind of your limitations, what your triggers are, things that might overstimulate um, your senses as a highly sensitive person. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's such a great example to throw out there too, because it shows that boundaries can strengthen relationships. Like you probably felt cared for and respected, and she probably felt honored that you were comfortable enough to ask her that. And, you know, she would happily oblige. And I think if you look at it at the same way as you wouldn't feel bad if you had a gluten allergy or, you know, you were allergic to something, telling people, you know, I, I'm allergic to this. Can we not, you know, uh, if we're having dinner together, can we go somewhere that doesn't have this? Um, you know, I, I think looking at it the same way is great, but I love that story. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. Oh, yeah, I'm glad that you did. I mean, because like I said, it was a hard thing to do. I felt kind of embarrassed when I sent it up because it's like, how is it going to be received? Right. But I think especially this is why we're having this conversation today is to raise awareness, bring really great information. We have talked about so much. I I mean, and like I said, I'm going to link your article so people can get even more information. I'll link Dr. Aaron's, well, it's in your article. So <clears throat> her quiz is in there. People can link directly to that from your article. We talked about relaxing zones. We talked about triggers, what people can do, how important communication is and understanding um, mm -hmm. the, you know, self-care and creating boundaries. We covered so much the link to narcissism, the hereditary component. Oh, this is so good. I am really, really excited. And by the way, um, Jim, when you go and you look at Dr. Scott's article on very well mind on just um, HSP, the highly sensitive person, you're going to see she has a ton of articles that are so well written, very informative, um, things, other topics that I'm really passionate about. Is there anything that I missed that we didn't talk about um, or any final thoughts that you want to leave us with today? Um, you know, thanks for asking. Uh, I think a great final thing to remember is just, you know, being a highly sensitive person isn't a, a disadvantage. I mean, there, there are things to manage as with every personality trait, but it can be a real asset, especially if you have the understanding of what you need, you set the boundaries, you create the self-care, um, you can minimize the challenges and really maximize the kind of superpower of it all. Um, it can be a real asset. And um, I have more uh, information about these things on my website, drelizabethscott.com. But I, I think just being aware of this is really helpful. So if I would challenge you guys for one thing today, I'd say find one self-care practice, you know, whether it's, I'm going to set a boundary today, I'm going to do a 10 minute workout, or I'm going to look into meditation, any of the things, if anything resonated, um, I'd like to challenge you guys to take one step toward it. I love that. And in I'm my favorite, there is a nurture tracker. So every month you can pick up to five of these self-care things that you want to do. You can keep track of your progress every month, what you're proud of. And there's a full year of all of the exercises and activities in there. So I love that little connection and link that we're passionate about so many of the same things. I will link your website, all of your information in the show notes. And I cannot thank you enough for being here today with us and sharing the, your wealth of knowledge and expertise on this topic and just being so passionate about raising awareness. So thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. And I can't wait to read your book. Um, something I can completely use. 
I feel like I say this at the end of every episode, but wasn't she lovely? (laughs) I mean, I get the best guests here and I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I know I was nodding along. I personally felt a significant amount of validation and maybe you did too. And if you did, it would be so appreciated if you would leave a review, share this episode with a friend or on your social media. That is how we continue to grow and get the message out and raise awareness on important topics like being a highly sensitive person. And now maybe if you've told someone before, stop being so sensitive or why are you so sensitive? Hopefully this gave a little bit better of an understanding. And I just really appreciate Dr. Scott's approach and her passion behind wanting to raise more awareness around this topic. Like I said, she is a wealth of information. I will link all of her information in the show notes, her website, her social, the article that we talked about, and you will be able to discover a bunch more of her content, particularly around stress management, which really correlates to what we talked about here today. Jem, thanks for being here. I appreciate you. And until next time, shine bright and let's get growing.